yeah, um, y'all, again, if you're watching by live stream, I want you to communicate with us. Share your thoughts, ask your questions. You do that by texting 720-878-3323 or by typing your response in the chat window, all right? We are beginning a brand new series this morning. It's three parts. It's leading up to Easter. The third message or time of sharing will include Easter morning. This morning I'm beginning with part one. I've entitled it, I have doubts, must I be certain? I have doubts, must I be certain? You know, doubting is common. We don't like to admit that, especially if we're Christian, especially if we're, quote, believers. We don't want to admit that we have doubts, doubts about God, doubts about the Bible, doubts about theology, doubts about each other, doubts about lots of things. But we have doubts. Here's something from Barna that I discovered about just how common doubts are. Over half of teens and adults report that they're, and I'm sorry, I should have made this a little bit bigger. Can I read it from the screen, Jeff? Over half of the teens and adults report that they've experienced doubts about their religious beliefs at least sometime. Frequently, occasionally, sometimes. You see the percentages there. Exactly half of those who are Christian or who have some Christian background or experience, 50% in other words, say that they have gone through a prolonged period of doubt. How many of you know who Mother Teresa is? Anybody heard of Mother Teresa, right? Over 50 years in Calcutta, India, serving the poor, the underprivileged, just orphans in the most dire of circumstances. Did you know that she spent 50 years doubting, seriously doubting, God and her faith. The New York Times did an article, Times Magazine. Uh, those aren't necessarily the same. And she was being interviewed by the Reverend Michael Van de Peet. This is sep September 1979. Listen to this quote from Mother Teresa. Jesus has a very special love for you, but as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and I do not see, I listen and I do not hear. I doubt. Do I have to be certain? For God to love me, for me to be a Christian, for me to have faith, do, do I have to be certain about everything? Is everything absolute? It wasn't for Mother Teresa, and look at the work she did. She's a saint by all measures. Faith isn't a cosmic download of information and correct beliefs that we can be certain about. Peter Inns in his book, The Sin of Certainty, says, quote, God desires our trust more than our correct beliefs. Many Christians in the West 
particularly those of certain Bible teaching groups, have significant issues living with mystery or uncertainty. All the while demanding triumphant responses and biblical absolutism, this is not the story of Easter. And I want to discuss a better view. We're going to spend the next three Sundays talking about a better view. Here's our text. It's found in Isaiah, the 50th chapter, and in verse 10. If you want to look with me there, or I'll have it on the screen, of course. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness? Let me reread that with the proper phrasing. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light, yet trusts in the name of the Lord and relies on his God? I've come to accept mystery. Mysteries in Scripture, mysteries to evil, mystery in being human. There's a mystery to sin. Mystery equals sometimes why. But faith and relationship is built on trust. Trust. And that's what I'm after. I'm going to do something unusual this morning. I'm going to yield five minutes, the next five minutes of my time, to a guest speaker. This is recorded. His name is Bill Johnson. He's the senior leader at Bethel Church in California. Most people know Bill Johnson as one of the most incredible authors, speakers, pastors of our day. He pastors a megachurch, and that church is known for strong faith, healings, miracles. Bill's wife, Benny, passed away this past year of cancer. She was only 67. I want to share with you his thoughts three days after her passing last year on July 17th, that Sunday. Please, Jeff. It's so good to, to be here. It's, uh, it's such an incredible privilege to have such large family, you know. We love you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks. I, uh, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just glad. I'm glad for the privilege to be with family and friends, and and uh, I, we found, I found out during the COVID thing that I was addicted to people, and that addiction has only gotten worse. So you, you will never get rid of me. So, so I'm thankful for the the privilege of this morning as well. I did not want to miss this morning, but I also knew. I could not do this four times, so this is the only this is the only time I show up today. Other than I'm going to get raptured right when this is over with, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I will not be around to clean up any mess that I make. So, <clears throat> the backslider in heart will always judge God by what he didn't do, 
But those who run with tenderness for who he is will always define him by what he has said, by what he's promised, and by what he has done. And to be as honest as I know how to be, I've seen too much of his kindness to think anything other than he is absolutely good. Always, always good. We don't get to, we don't get to choose stuff like, uh, like I, I don't want to experience any pain. Now, that's not an option we get, you know. It's where we're, we do life. In fact, let's, let's be really honest. He says things like, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Those verses are completely useless unless you're going to experience loss and disappointment. I mean, nobody needs to be taught to rejoice if everything works the way you want it to work. Right? It's, it's like, it's pointless. So his nature is defined by promise and by his history, his testimony. And that's what we build theology around. That's who he is. But what about loss? That's the mystery that we have the privilege of carrying. The level of revelation God gives you will always be equal to the measure of mystery you're willing to live with. And the inability to live with mystery is your resistance to childlikeness. It's childlikeness that actually gives us access to dimensions and realms of the kingdom that you can't get in any other way. There are certain things that he has hidden in the journey. For example, several years ago, I discovered something about... um, in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. And what I found was there are measures of his presence you can only find in the valley of the shadow of death. And we, we, we say we love presence, and we do. We're a, a people that, that gather to celebrate and to honor who he is and thrive on just that presence of the Spirit of God who is always with us. And I, I, there is no greater treasure than him. Never will be. Heaven itself is him. And yet there are aspects of presence you can only find in the valley of the shadow of death. It's only in darkness, in, in darkness of soul, in the, in the trial of not knowing what's going on and doing everything you know to do and having things not work out like you think they should. He's not a vending machine. You know, I don't get to put a quarter in and get out what I want. It's a relational journey and I've, I've experienced, I've experienced his kindness, his miracles at a level that I, I could never earn or deserve. And I just don't have the right to reevaluate what he's like because I've experienced loss. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. It, it's... It's, and it's, everybody in the room has experienced this. So I'm, I don't stand here as, you know, the only guy who has experienced pain. I, I, I understand that. I, I, I do life with you. And I, I, we've wept together and laughed together. And I, I get that. But I, I just, I just want to tell you that God gives us these special moments or he gives us these opportunities to, to grow down, to, to become more childlike. It's, it's the simplicity of faith that just trusts him no matter what. It's the simplicity of childlikeness that just says, 
you know what? He knows what's happening. I don't. And, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. I, I don't want my why to ever take me away from him. Oh, my goodness. That needs to be on a banner. I don't want my why to keep me away from him. Some things that Bill said there. We don't get to choose. We don't get to choose. I don't want to experience pain anymore. Loss is the mystery we have the privilege of carrying. Well, this doesn't sound like an Easter message. Oh, that's why I need to give you a better view. Because leading up to the resurrection was death and the crucifixion. Great suffering. And we share in it according to everything in the New Testament. We share in his sufferings. Bill said, the inability to live with mystery is your resistance to childlikeness. I remind you of our scripture text, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and no light and has no light, yet trusts in the name of the Lord? There's a passage I want to bring to your attention here this morning that I think has fostered some of the most insidious theology in the body of Christ. I had to, I had to look up the word insidious. I, I thought I knew what it meant, insidious. Everybody knows what insidious means, right? Listen to this. This is from Webster's Dictionary. Insidious. Number one, having a gradual or cumulative effect. Subtle. Okay, kind of knew that about it, but boy, that really put a slant on it. Is there another being that the Bible talks about being subtle in their approach, being insidious, subtle, who when you yield yourself to the way they think, it's kind of cumulative, it's called sin. His name was called Satan, Lucifer, subtle. Number two, of a disease developing so gradually as to be well established before becoming a parent. Man, does this scripture passage lend itself to that. Number three, awaiting a chance to entrap or treacherous. Number four, harmful but enticing. Jeff, are you talking about the Bible? I'm talking about a scripture in the Bible that gets misinterpreted and then People run with it to create doctrines of absolutism and that certainty in life and, and mystery is not even in our vocabulary when we believe the way that people have taken this scripture. So let's look at it. A better view. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. Now, we're going to start in verse 12. And it says, Paul is writing, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Stop. Opened a door. For, who opened the door? Come on, help me. Who opened the door for him? Let me reread. I'm sorry? Where's our verse? Okay, thank you. 
Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found the Lord had opened the door for me. Who opened the door? The Lord opened it? Okay. I still had no peace of mind. Well, now that doesn't sound like certainty. Uh, he said, the Lord opened the door, but uh, I was going back and forth. I didn't have certainty because I couldn't find my brother Titus there. So he expected to find Titus there. There was something that led him to believe Titus would be there. Titus wasn't there, and he was looking. So I said goodbye to them, and I went to the next location, Macedonia. Interesting. Doesn't sound like certainty to me. Sounds like being willing to flow and change and understand that things aren't set with certainty and granite. All right. Now, watch it. Here comes the verse that insidiously has been hijacked. Verse 12, or excuse me, verse 14. Now, thanks. I'm going to read it to you from the King James Bible because this is the only version that translates it this way. And it's the King James Version that has lent itself to this insidious interpretation. I quote, Now thanks be unto God, who always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Only here, not even in the New King James Version, will you see this stated that way. Who always causeth... This was one of the first verses I ever memorized. <laughs> and boy, I stood on this and stood on it and I quoted it and I brought it into every relationship and every, into my career and into every prayer time. Thanks be unto God. He's going to cause me to triumph. Nothing but that. Well, let's look at it. Here's the... King James Version of it with the English Standard Version. But thanks be to God who always, who in Christ always leads us into triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Watch, look at this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us what? Into triumphal procession. That's not what King James said at all. Now, here's the NIV, the New International Version. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Now it's starting to pinpoint who the focus and object of the Scripture comment is. It's Christ's triumphal procession, not mine. Here's the mirror translation. Whoever, wherever my travels take me, I am so aware that God leads us as trophies in his victory parade. How different is our understanding when we move away from a single translation that in the West by many evangelicals, they even go as far in, in a sort of smug attitude to say the King James Bible is the only translation authored by the Holy Spirit. Only the King James, King James translation is authoritative. No other is. It is. The King James translation is the Word of God. How unfortunate. Here's the Christian Standard Bible, which begins this paragraph with this statement, a ministry of life or death. <laughs> but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's 
triumphal procession. What's being talked about here? Francois points out. In ancient triumphs, listen now, everybody. In ancient triumphs, abundance of perfumes and wreaths of sweet-smelling flowers were used in victory celebrations. This parade of victory is a public announcement of the defeat of the religious systems and structures based on the law of works. Just like it is in any public game where the victory celebration of the winning team is an embarrassment for the losing team, the death of evil is announced by resurrection life. The death of it. You know what Easter is all about, the death of evil. This isn't talking about my personal certainty to live in triumphalism and never suffer. This is talking about how Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection put to death death, triumphed over all that is dark, and leads us in a parade of shouting glory to the risen Lord. It isn't our triumph in circumstances, life, health, fi financial career, finances, that Paul is talking about here. It's Christ's triumph over the powers of death. We glory in Jesus putting to death death and making us a testimony of his goodness when we entirely trust our lives to him. I remind you of our text, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light yet trusts in the name of the Lord and relies on his God? You know, if we'll allow him, God comes to us in our dark places, in our suffering, in our uncertainty, in our doubts. God comes to us in the middle of that. Mother Teresa, 50 years of doubting God. God used her so mightily to love people. And she doubted God. God comes to us in our darkest places of suffering and doubt and gives us hope that this, our situation, our darkness, is a seed to resurrection. A better view.